Well, uh, today is my last Sunday with you for a couple of months, and so uh, I'm, I wanted to uh, make it meaningful. I'm looking forward to a change of pace where I can learn and grow and focus on some things that are hard to focus on in the heat of the battle. And uh, looking forward to that. There's a commercial uh, about these guys trying to build an airplane while they're flying the airplane. That's probably 10 years old or something. But that's, you know, that's kind of what it feels like as a pastor. You're building the airplane while you're trying to fly it. And uh, so it'll be good to be able to, uh, to, to uh, step outside of the airstream a little bit and work on some areas of personal and ministry growth. I can also tell that uh, this is going to, uh, a lot of my energy these next few uh, weeks are going to be devoted to my family, that we're in a challenging time, a time of transition and adoption, and uh, I can tell that a lot of my energies are going to go towards that. So uh, you can pray for us about that, and uh, I appreciate, I would appreciate your prayers. You're going to be in good hands, really good hands. We have a uh, ministry team that's going to continue to lead the church, pastors and deacons who are going to continue to do that. So you're going to be in good hands. And uh, then uh, you're going to have great Sunday mornings. There's going to be some great teaching and preaching on Sunday mornings. Glenn Matlock is starting next Sunday. And uh, that series that Chris talked about, Flight Plan, it's going to be uh, very, very helpful. It's coming from really one of the great passages of the Bible. One of the great passages, Romans chapter 8, and that's what it's going to be about. And you want to get a head start on that. I don't want to steal Glenn's thunder, but read Romans chapter 8. Really a great passage. And uh, I'd, been, I'd had my, my eyes on it for teaching for us. Uh, and when Glenn told me uh, he wanted to, would it be okay if he preached on Romans 8, I kind of felt like I had just bought a brand new sports car and I hadn't, I hadn't driven it yet. I couldn't, wait into, I couldn't wait to be the first guy to give it a drive, you know. And someone asked me, say, hey, can I borrow that, you know. <laughs> and I know Romans 8 doesn't belong to me, you know. I know it's not mine. <laughs> but I've been looking forward to that. And, uh, but I'm glad for Glenn to be able to do that. I said, take it, you know. And so one of the great passages of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, you'll be encouraged by that. And then Chris is going to preach. not going to tell you what he's going to preach about. But starting in June, he's gonna, uh, you're going to have a great study with Chris. So... We're not going to miss any time. This is Pastor Brad's sabbatical, and, uh, but not your sabbatical. So you're going to keep doing what God's called you to do, and uh, God's, going to be, uh, God's going to continue the good work he's begun. You know, as you think about uh, how to pray for your pastor, I do appreciate your prayers. And if you're like, well, I don't know how to pray for Brad, you can pray the very same thing for me that we looked at last week when we looked at a prayer that Paul prayed for a church in uh, in Thessalonica. We looked at First Thess- Second Thessalonians chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles there, you can. But that's how you, that's how you can pray for me. You can pray that same prayer. Uh, it's a prayer that's, it's a twofold prayer that God would help someone, whoever you're praying for, uh, become who they are and accomplish what they ought. And both of those are needs in my life. I need to become who I am in Christ, and I need to accomplish what God has created me to do. And uh, that is a process. Being called to serve as a pastor, I mean, God has called me to pastor, but uh, over the years, I have learned that that is a journey and not a destination. And you never really arrive, even as a, not, not, not even, I don't mean as a person, but I mean even as a, in, in your role serving, you never really feel adequate and, uh, to serve. And uh, so that is a destination. You could pray this for me. I ran across a quote a couple of uh, months ago that even though I've only been aware of it for a couple months, I've gone back to it at least a half a dozen times for my own personal reminding. Uh, it's a quote from a pastor who was born in 1860. So I don't know when he said this, but it was a long time ago. His name was Charles Jefferson. 
And it's a true quote. It's so true that uh, it's really impacted me a lot. And he says, he says this, It is by no means easy for a young man to become a shepherd. And he ought not be discouraged if he cannot become one in a day or a year. An orator he can become without difficulty. A reformer he can become at once. In criticism of politics and society, he can do a flourishing business the first Sunday. But a shepherd, he can become only slowly and by patiently traveling the way of the cross. That is a true statement about the role of a pastor. So as you pray for me and I pray for you, you can pray the same thing that I pray for you that God would help me become who I am and accomplish what I ought. And then you could pray that same thing for Pastor Chris and Thad and Edgar and for Sharon, that we would become who we are and that we would accomplish what we ought. And in addition to praying this for each other, so this is a prayer that I pray for you. If you missed last week, this is a prayer that I pray for the people of Trinity, and I shared that last week. And if you want to catch up, we're going to build on that this morning. If you want to catch up on some of the details, you can do that. Last week's message is online, always online by the, about noon on Monday after the Sunday that, uh, that the message is given. But what I want us to think about this morning, I want us to go back to this prayer and think about not just how you can pray this for individuals, but also how we can pray this prayer for our church, praying this prayer for Trinity, God's vision for Trinity. And uh, this simple prayer, two verses long, is just a great way to be able to do that. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is read this passage, reflect on it in a way that, that uh, will help us pray for each other, but also pray for our corporate faith family. So let's read it first, and then we'll talk about it. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling. And that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to dive right into this prayer. We are going to build on some of the things we talked about last week, but if you weren't here last week, uh, you can go back and, and benefit from listening to that and kind of hear uh, the, little, the, the various pieces of this more clearly explained, but, but you'll be in good shape. You'll understand what this prayer is about by the time we're done this morning. And the first thing really to notice about this prayer is the first thing we noticed about it last week, that Paul prays it with, with something in mind. He actually begins his prayer with this in mind. With this in mind, this is how I'm praying for you. This is why I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying for you. And and so you want to understand, well, what is in his mind? What's he talking about with this in mind? So you just have to back up a little bit and read some of the preceding verses. I think it's especially in verses 3 and 4 that that's really what's on Paul's mind when he's praying this. This is a church that he planted. He planted the church in Thessalonica. They're dear to him, and he knows certain things about them. And he talks about what he knows about them in verses 3 and 4. He says this, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. This is what Paul has in mind when he prays. 
And what he has in mind, he basically what he's saying is, hey, I'm praying some things for you because God is at work in you. I see God doing things. I see him growing your faith. I see him growing your love. I see that God is at work in, in you and so much at work in you that, that I boast about you to other churches. And I say, I hold you up as an example of what God wants to do and can do in a faith family. So Paul says, I see God at work in you, and this is why I'm praying. Now, I want to make two observations about this. The first of those is just that, that what God is doing in the individual people of the church determines the overall health of the whole body. There is some individual growth in, in, in these verses, verses 3 and 4. Specifically, like one easy way to call it out is just where he says, the love every one of you has for each other. Every one of you, the love you, each of you have for other people, all right, as that grows, your whole church has, in, has increasing influence. So the idea is that your individual health and your individual growth helps determine the overall health of the whole body. What God's doing in individuals determines what God is able to do in a church. And then notice, as God grows individuals, and that impacts the overall health of the, of the church, then that church's influence is increased to the point that it's able to be used as an example to other churches. And it all starts on the individual level, on your level, as a Jesus follower. And how you follow Jesus. And that determines the overall health of the faith family and how God is able to use that. So that's the first thing I want us to notice is is that what God does in you determines the health of the church and the health of your church can reverberate beyond itself as it becomes healthy and strong. The other thing I want you to see is that Paul is praying for his church because he sees God at work in it. It's easy to think, oh, things are going great guns at my church. I don't need to pray for them. You know, I pray for, we, we so many times pray for uh, things, people, churches, when things are rough and hard and not going well. And we think, you know, we get less dependent on prayer when things are going fine. Here for Paul, he's like, hey, things are going great guns in Thessalonica. I really better, I really better ramp up my prayers for them. Because God is so clearly at work there, I need to pray. Because this is a great church and important things are taking place, I'm going to crank up my prayers. So, a couple things that we can think about as we apply this to Trinity. One, is that your individual health as a Jesus follower determines, is a significant factor in determining the overall health of this faith family. How you follow Jesus, your level of wholeheartedness, it's going to impact the health of the whole body. My level of wholeheartedness is going to impact the health of the whole body. And then, as we follow Jesus in different ways, it, the, the level of following that we bring affects the whole body and uh, the influence that we can have as a faith family. That's one implication. But another implication is, you want a good reason, reason to pray for Trinity? You want, a, you want a good reason to remember Trinity in prayer? Remember Trinity in prayer because Trinity is a great church where God is already at work. You're not praying for a church uh, to be uh, resuscitated, you know, uh, CPR on a church. You're praying for a church where God is already at work and doing things. Now, if Paul can compliment a church and boast about it a little bit, I think I should be able to compliment a church 
and boast about it a little bit. And I want to compliment Trinity and say that this is a great church. I have been here 23 years and a little bit over right now. And I have seen our church, I have seen God use our church. And our church existed before I was here for 40 years. Our church is in its 60 plus year of ministry. And God has used our church in this valley. I run into uh, people all the time in our community who know of this church and know its reputation. And it's a positive reputation and a positive impact. They know the people of this church, and they'll say to me, you know what, so-and-so, that's, that's so-and-so's church, isn't it? That person, you know, they really, and they'll describe this person and their influence in their particular realm. I see that people compliment me on your behalf all the time, and I let them. <laughs> and I let them, and I say, you're right. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Trinity is a church that if you pulled Trinity out of this valley, this valley would be different and lacking if Trinity were not here. There are other great churches. There are other gospel-centered churches. But there's no other church with the fingerprint, with the DNA that Trinity has. Trinity is a church of sound doctrine and solid confidence in the Bible. Trinity is a church that cares about children and students and families. Trinity is a church that is paying attention and cares about the Spanish-speaking community in our valley that so often goes, goes overlooked. Trinity is a church that puts generosity behind the things that it values. It's a church with, with dedicated people and great leaders who are mature and wholehearted. We're a church that's marked over the decades by unity and single-mindedness. And maturity. And you know what? That's all the more reason we ought to pray for our church. Because God is at work and He is doing these things and He has used us. All the more reason to keep praying. We pray because this is an important church and God is at work here. And that's what we have in mind as we pray. And what we pray, two things. This is a visionary prayer. It's an aspirational prayer that really calls out two things, that we would become who we are and accomplish what we ought. And that's how we pray for our church. First, that we would become who we are. Now, that is how we understand Paul's prayer in verse 11, where he says that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Count you worthy of his calling. Well, uh, we know that we're already counted. If you're a Jesus follower, if you've turned to Jesus as the one that God sent... You see him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Then God has already, verse 5 tells us, counted you worthy of his calling. You are already worthy because God in Jesus has made you worthy. On the other hand, you are still you. All right, And there is this gap between who God has made you in Jesus and how you're fleshing that out right now. And God's vision for you is that over time, you would close that gap between your identity and your life, between your position as a child of God and, as, and your practice. And God wants to see you close that gap over time. The same thing is true for a church. There's a gap between who a church is in God's eyes and, and the reality right? Between its identity and its actual practice. And every church has a gap, more than one, 
but we'll just call it one. We'll summarize it all by saying a gap. Every church has a gap between who it is and who God has called it to be. Every church. And until Jesus comes, every church is going to be a messy, imperfect manifestation of the body of Christ. I mean, it's easy to have a church experience, and who hasn't? Everyone here has, and a lot of people who aren't here have, and that's why they're not here, had an experience of like, ugh, I am done with church. What a place full of blah, you know? Well, yeah, it is full of blah. And you know, by blah, I mean you and me, right? And it's just that way, and that's... That's the, that's, we're an imperfect manifestation of the body of Christ. Every church has its gaps. What is important is to remember it's still the body of Christ. The local church that is imperfect and full of blah is still the body of Christ and full of beautiful stuff too. Full of beautiful things. People becoming who they are. People being equipped to accomplish what they are, yeah, what they ought, yeah, sure, it's full of messy stuff. It's true because we bring messy things to it. But God is at work. The local church is still the hope of the world. It's still the locus of God's people. We've got to remember that what's important is is not whether a church is perfect or imperfect, but whether it's in the process of becoming who it ought to become. Whether it's in the process of closing those gaps. So how do you measure? How do you know whether that's happening? A church is in the process of closing those gaps. It's easy to, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to measure a church's health. And the things you want to measure, you just don't, there's no way to, to actually put a you know, yardstick around it. So we find those things that we can measure and we say, well, okay, well, we'll me-, and and usually those are really either really positive or really negative things and that's how we measure the health of a church. Really positive, you know, like like attendance or offerings and things that are easy to count. Or really negative. Oh yeah, hard times and budget problems and, you know, uh things like that. And really neither one of those is is a way to measure the health of a faith family. Paul, as a matter of fact, says the church in Thessalonica had lots of stuff going against it. In verse 4, it's going through times of suffering and hardship and trial, verse 4. I mean, it wasn't all roses at the church in Thessalonica, and yet Paul said, God is really at work. So what do you measure it by? Well, you measure it by what we see in verse, verses 3 and 4. You measure it by the growth in faith and love. You measure the church's growth we had always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. That's a sign of health. And your love, and, and the love every one of you has for each other, is increasing. Now that's a sign of health. Faith, corporate faith in God, confidence in, in uh, who God is, and a growing trust in Him as a whole faith family. Uh, a growing confidence in the gospel's power to change somebody's life. A growing uh, submission to God's sovereignty and that God knows best and that he leads us. A, a growing willingness to obey at all costs because we trust God. That's what it means to grow in faith. And if a church is growing in those ways, 
That's a sign of God at work and the gap being closed. That's growth in faith and also growth in love. Here it's growth uh, for each other. It's specifically growth within the faith family, love within the faith family. The love each one of you has for each other is increasing. You are growing in your ability to love that person, and they're growing in their ability to love you, and this group is growing in their ability to love this group. And as that love increases... That's a sign that God is closing the gap. But it's not just love for each other in the faith family. It's love for all people everywhere. And this, uh, these two marks, growth in faith, growth in love, they're the marks of God at work in a church. They're the marks of health in a church. As those gaps, faith gaps and love gaps are continually uh, diminished, that's a sign that God's at work. That's how you measure God at work. And there's something interesting uh, about this, that one reason the church in Thessalonica was growing in faith and love is because Paul had already been praying that they would grow in these areas. We know that because we can read 1 Thessalonians, which we know comes before 2 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, I've been praying for you about this. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Paul says, I'm praying this, and then he sees it happen. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, I'm praying this for you. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he says, I see this growing. Same thing in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Only here, it's not his prayer, it's his teaching that has preceded this growth. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Now, this is encouraging for any pastor to see how Paul teaches and prays and sees a difference. First Thessalonians, he teaches and prays growth in love. And second Thessalonians, he says, I see God growing your love. Well, that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that you can be encouraged in as, as you minister in the body and play your role. That, that these are things God uses to make a difference, an actual difference in a faith family. So one way to grow in faith and love for your church is to pray for it. If you want Trinity to grow in faith and love, Pray for it and ask God to help Trinity become who we are. Close that gap. That's the first part of Paul's prayer. The second part of Paul's prayer is that God would help, help us be, accomplish what we ought. First, that we would become who we are. The second half of the prayer is that God would help us accomplish what we ought. And we learned last week there are two parts of this accomplish what we ought. We see it kind of reflected in two different ways in our passage. We see, first of all, that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Fulfill every good purpose of yours. We thought about this from kind of an Ephesians 2.10 point of view, that God, God has created every person to, to make a difference, uh, to, to uh, accomplish good works. He has good purposes for us in mind, and that's true of our church too. God has created our church with good purposes in mind. On the other hand, 
There are some acts that are prompted by our faith where, where we're like, hey, this is an awesome idea. What if we just tried this? So on the one hand, you've got God saying, this is what I've created you for, and I have these eternal purposes in mind for you, Trinity. And discerning those purposes is part of our role and then acting on them, part of our job as a church. But there's, there's also this, I don't know if this is really I can't say that I have revelation that this is God's eternal purpose for us, but wouldn't it be awesome if as a church we reached out to our community in this way? Isn't that just a great idea? And you're like, what, what, about, what if we minister? What if we reached out? What if one of the ways we wanted to reach our valley was to, was to uh, reach out to a school that combines our heart for the generation behind us and our heart for the Spanish language community. And you know what school that would be? That would be Blue Ridge Elementary School. And what if, what if we, wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome if over time we could really develop a meaningful relationship with this school and the faculty and the families that go there? And, and I wonder what God would do with that. Well, was that an eternal purpose that God had created before the foundation of the world? Or was that just a great idea, an act prompted by someone's faith? I don't know. I don't know. I know it lines up with God's eternal purpose. So in a way, hey, you know what? They're just kind of two different sides of the same coin. Just two different ways of thinking about what God wants us to accomplish. And we can think about it from eternal purpose standpoint. We can think about, is this an awesome idea that we'd love to see God do? Either way, they're two sides of the same coin. And what's funny about it is either way, it's, they're going to be about one of two things. It's either going to be about helping people become who they are, or helping people accomplish what they ought. God's purposes for us, and every act prompted by our faith, should either be about helping people become who they are, or helping them accomplish what they ought. Because that's what the church is about. So it's like we got this set of Russian nesting dolls. All right, That the, that the church is about helping people become who they are and accomplish what they ought. And, and as they help people become who they are and accomplish what they ought, people become who they are and accomplish what they ought and get involved in the lives of other people who become who they are and accomplish what they ought. And it's just like this never-ending cycle of people becoming who they are and accomplishing what they ought because that's the mission of the church. As we help people become who they are, that's, that's making disciples, that's helping people enter a uh, saving relationship with Jesus, knowing that they can have sins forgiven, eternally repaired relationship with God just by looking to Jesus as a forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. And when they make that decision, then they cross that line into becoming a child of God, then we help them grow in, in, in maturity and faith and love, and we make a disciple And then, as part of that disciples maturing, we help them understand how God has created them to make disciples and make a difference in the world. And that God has gifted them to use their life and their resources to touch other people's lives. So we make disciples, and we equip those disciples to make a difference. And as they make a difference, they're making disciples and equipping them to make a difference. And it's really all this prayer. It's helping people become who they are and accomplish what they ought. And that's our mission as a church. And it's all embedded in this way that Paul prays for his faith family. And that's what we care about as a church. It's really all we care about. Really, the only things we care about as a church is making disciples and helping them make a difference.
if we can make disciples and help disciples make a difference, then we're playing the role that God has called us to play in this world. Making disciples who make a difference, helping people become who they are and accomplish what they ought. If that's all we ever do, we will have been successful at what God has called us to do. And as we see people become disciples and then make a difference in our valley, all right, then we see, we see how God will bring, use us to bring common grace to the valley. All right, common grace. Just make life better for people because we do a great job at our jobs and we're good citizens and we love our neighbors and we care about our community. And that's common grace. So we'll bring more, more and more common grace to our valley. And then, as Jesus followers, we'll bring more than just common grace and make life better. We can make eternal life better for people. And we bring the saving grace that comes from just, that comes exclusively through knowing Jesus. And as we play this role, we're doing what God has called us to do in the world. And think about this. As you and I pray for each other, we pray this for each other. And then we pray this for our church. As a result, you grow. So you're growing. You're growing. And becoming who you are. And that gap in your life is closing. That gap of, of personal holiness is, is closing. That gap of, of uh, your marriage relationship is closing. That gap of your own faith and your own love and your own obedience is closing. And, and the, uh, then you are becoming who you ought. Uh, who you are, and then accomplishing. You get involved and, and start accomplishing what you ought, that you uh, begin to use your time and your resources to impact other people, make disciples. On a, a Sunday during the summer when we're giving great teachers a break and you decide you're going to invest one, two, three Sundays to, to help make children's ministry great through the summer and you're involved in making a difference. You're making disciples and making it, and you're, be, you're co- becoming who you are and accomplishing what you ought. And then I'm becoming who I am and accomplishing what I ought. And then, what, and, and then who, you doing that and me doing that, it starts to impact the health of our whole faith family because that's how God measures the health of a church, by the health of the people who compose it. And then what God d- does is, is makes our church healthy so we grow in faith and love. And as we grow in faith and love, we reach out into our community and we help other people become who they are and accomplish what they ought. And they help other people become who they are and accomplish what they ought. And all of a sudden, as this continues to happen, we see what we've been praying for since we began this fall in this study of Habakkuk. And this, this idea that God, the knowledge of God's glory would fill this valley like the waters cover the sea, which is not a sudden cataclysmic flood, but it's a slow, gradual fill-up of God's grace. And then we, uh, you know, it's such a beautiful reflection of that prayer in Habakkuk, that the knowledge of the glory of God would fill the valley like the waters cover the sea. And, and this idea we talked about a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 4, where grace reaches more and more people. And more, there's more and more thanksgiving that all accrues to more and more glory to God, 2 Corinthians 4.15. That's all exactly how Paul culminates his prayer. All this just feeds into the same way that Paul prays. Paul prays these things, and in verse 12 he says, We pray this so that, 
We pray this because, because we want to see something happen. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. That's why Paul prays this. So that Jesus would be glorified in us. And then us in him. That's a beautiful picture, really, of what God wants to do. God wants to bring glory to Jesus. God wants to make much of his son. And so as we aspire and have acts that are prompted by our faith, as we reach out into this community, as we become who we are, we don't do it to build a name for ourselves. We don't build it, do it to build a reputation for ourselves. We don't do it for purposes of self-actualization. Why do we do it? We do it because we want to make much of Jesus. We want to see Jesus recognized for who he is. We want to see Jesus honored for who he is. He is in this passage. He ends the prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see. We want to see Jesus acknowledged as the Lord that he really is. And how will that happen? That will happen as he's glorified in us. How is he going to be glorified in us? As we become who we are and accomplish what we ought. And as we do that, that's how Jesus is glorified in us. And then, you know what? As a result, we're also glorified in him. We become more and more like him. That's just a great way to think about our church. It's a great way to think about what God is doing here. It's a great way to pray for our church, a great way to pray for each other. So I want us to make this our goal. Not to be a great church. Not to self-actualize. But to see Jesus glorified in us as we become who we are and accomplish what we ought. So that's going to take each of us being wholehearted disciples. And as each of us follows Jesus with a whole heart, then God will uh, use each of us to impact the health of this church. And then who knows how God wants to use the health of this church as an example, as an encouragement, as a model to other churches in our valley, in eastern Washington, eastern Oregon, who knows, other parts of the world, who knows. I want to pray this prayer for you in a minute as we dismiss, but what I'd like for you to do now before we do that is just kind of think about what God might be saying to you in this prayer. Maybe something about the gap that he wants to close in your life. Maybe something about your own involvement in making a difference and making disciples and using your gifts to do that. Uh, maybe just a, a, a decision you want to make about how to pray this prayer for someone else. So I want to give you a minute to think on that level, and then I'll close in a brief prayer, and we'll give our offering, and then I'll come and I'll pray this prayer one more time for us. Father, we want to open ourselves for a minute to you to speak to us from this passage, our own individual lives, about how to pray, about how you want us to live, about what you want us to do. So we pray that your Spirit will speak Father, we thank you for these great words from the Apostle Paul and his heart for this church in Thessalonica and how it gives us a good example to follow of the heart that you'd like us to have for our own faith family. We thank you that Jesus is at work here 
And we pray that you will continue what you've started. I pray that, that uh, for the person here who needs to see you close a gap in their life, needs to help you, needs your help in, in uh, becoming more of who they, who they are in Jesus, that you'll give them by your grace and power exactly what they need to do that. I pray that uh, you will help us to be mindful of how you want us to pray for our faith family because you are at work here. We think about the future and the things that you want to see happen. We want, we want our church to be healthy. And so we want to follow Jesus individually with whole hearts. And we know, we know that that's where health will come from. And we know that all this is a work that you do by your power and by your grace. So we pray that you'll provide it in abundance. And we ask it through Jesus. Amen.